What's up, everyone? Welcome to Through the Veil, episode number 41. I'm your host, Alex Nelson, and on today's episode, we have my dear friend, Mercedes Terrell. Mercedes is best known for her work as a model, an MMA ring card girl, and also on her work with men's coaching and helping to sort of educate men on various different things about how to be their best self. Today's episode is super interesting. We dove really deep into relationships, touching on topics like sex, how to show up as a man to be attractive to women, and all sorts of things circling around that topic. And it's always enjoyable for me to get to speak to a woman about those things to get that other perspective, not just the conjecture of me being a man thinking, here's what women might like, but that direct feedback loop. So it's a really good episode. We dove super deep on a bunch of different pieces of that, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you do, as always, please share it with a friend or put it out on your Instagram or something and share it there. If you really liked the episode, it helps spread the show and helps us grow. So much appreciated and I'll catch you on the inside. Well, Mercedes, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you here. Um, if you can tell everyone who you are and a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump in. Yeah. Um, I always struggle with this question because it's like, how do you hone down, you know, someone's, my own particular lifetime into a few sentences so we don't take up the whole show with that? But uh, I think people know me best or how I've been known best over my time spent here uh, as a model. And in that industry, I worked in the MMA industry for a long time as a Bellator girl. I worked for a lot of other companies along that path. Um, and it's been a very illustrious career and much longer than I, I thought was possible. So I'm blessed in that, that regard. Um, and it's also led me to what I'm really focusing on now, which is being this bridge that brings the idea of sexuality and spirituality together. So I think that's something that we definitely have unfortunately made separate along, you know, our path as humans. It's not separate. <laughs> it no. is so much um, intertwined. It is necessary for it to be intertwined. And so I'm really attempting to use my kind of sexy um, side to bring the male uh, following that I have. I have a large male following because of the work I have done into the understanding that those two things can be intrinsically linked and that it's important that they are while also trying to be an example of embodying my sexuality and um, taking the shame away from being a woman in her sexuality. You know, mm -hmm. that's, I think, we're having a lot of witch burnings at the moment um, where we're trying to not allow that to happen. And it's, it sucks. I've been, I mean, I've been one of the ones burning witches, mm -hmm. you know, when I was younger, I was very much um, brought up in a household that sexuality was shameful. Like it was mm -hmm. not okay for, for women to be embodying it that way. It was dangerous. And that was really the focus. And I think the work I do is, uh, is largely about asking men to take responsibility for their own actions so that women aren't victimized literally a lot of the time when it comes to being in their sexual bodies so and then of course bringing women up to speed with the fact that our sexual bodies are 
absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. They are um, what allow us to create life, what allow us to create generally like art in the world. So um, yeah, that's where I've landed. And I know Mm -hmm. it's kind of, you know, there's a, maybe a bit of an esoteric way to enter this, but I'm sure we'll pull more on all the threads that make me, me as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's perfect. That's one of the things that I think I'm trying to serve from the male side is a similar thing of like, yeah, you can be spiritual and, you know, I've been facilitating plant medicine ceremonies for many years and like, and also two weekends ago, I was at a music festival prancing around in fucking five inch shorts and like having a <laughs> grand old time, just feeling yes. sexy as fuck and both are okay. So yes, I love, I love that, that part. Um, yeah. So I think one thing I've resonated with of the content you've been putting out is just this calling men forward. Cause I think a lot of men are really thirsty for this at this point. And they're very aware that the model and the paradigm they've been given, first of all, just doesn't fucking work at all. So they're dissatisfied with their results in general and additionally feeling unfulfilled or un structured in the way that they're actually going about their life so as you're speaking with men like what are some of the main things you're noticing that are repetitive issues that come up or things that continually especially when it comes to dating but it could be more broadly too that they are dealing with that you're helping guide them through yes um i'm just gonna preface that and if i don't know if you have your podcast out as a visual but my cat is probably gonna be jumping all over (laughs) me during this so um when it comes to what men come to me most with, because I have a, a very popular OnlyFans account, which is quite controversial as well, because I use it for two things, obviously to make an income through consumerizing my sexuality in the way that I feel good about doing that. And the other piece of it is consumerizing the intellectual part of me that allows for that bridge I was talking about earlier to happen. And so men who enter my sphere are usually entering it from that sex forward place where they're, you know, it's funny you use the word thirsty, but they're, you know, coming at it from this place of uh, attempting to satiate some, some desire, usually that primal sexual desire. And it might just look like they are looking for content to masturbate to. Um, Of course they could find that content pretty much anywhere for free at this point. Right. And uh, so I believe what the the thing is that I offer specifically, and that has allowed me this particular niche and maybe particular success and what I believe I'm building on here is a foundation that's like, they're coming to me for this reason. And that feels comfortable from their cultural and, and, you know, conditioned background. And so that's the entry point they use, but then it opens up to this place where I will invite more. Like they may start out by having a conversation about the fetish that they're into or, um, you know, that they want me to somehow interact with right on, Mm. on, in the DMS or however they want me to interact with it. And I'm so open to listening to all of what they have to say. And there's no shame allowed, of course, like, you know, because of where I came from when it comes to anything sexual, um, sexually flavored. So then it opens this space. Like once that is kind of all moved through and if they are understanding my, the full spectrum of why I'm there and what I can provide for them, they start entering that other world where Mm -hmm. it's about 
what their sexual dysfunctions are, the things that they do hold shame around, or maybe it's even their fetishes that they usually are afraid to, to talk about, you know? And we get into that world of, well, why is that something that turns you on? What is the core desire? You know, it's always about like uncovering that core desire that's sitting below, you know, I call them the false desires, but they're just these surface level desires that seem like that primal sexual part of you that might just, you know, be pushing you to go look at a sexy, sexy image or video or whatever. And you have an orgasm and then that's done. But what is actually being craved here? Like, what is the thing that keeps you coming back? And yes, it's the dopamine hit. It's the, you know, the addiction, addictive cycle, but why? Like, and just getting down to the, the, the root questions of why we do what we do. And especially because some of these men come and say, I have a porn addiction. Hmm. I have a, um, erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or some sort of issue that's causing me to suffer in relationship. Right. Like I can't be with my wife. I can, I can't perform well with my wife in the way I want to. Um, because I'm always like, I'm, I'm addicted to porn in the sense that I have to use it in order to find, find climax. So I get into a lot of these type of conversations with men and the work that I do is to just give them the space to talk about that. First of all, with no shame, which does so much of the healing on its own. Yeah. But then to allow for them to feel and, and look under the little layer by Mm. layer, you know, peel back the onion of what is really the core thing going on under there? So, so much of that is, we think it's obvious. It sounds obvious, but then we don't do the obvious thing. So, so much of that is about feeling your feeling. And so when I talk to guys, I'm like, well, what, how, when you go to do porn, we go to use porn, how does that feel in your body? Well, it feels like I have this thing I need to release. And if I don't, I'm going to be dangerous. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to have this pent up stress, all this stuff that I need to release. If I don't, it's going to be bad, you know? Well, how bad is it going to be? What is it going to look like? What are the things that you're actually acting from? Because you're acting from fear, right? If you're doing it that way. Little by little, we'll uncover this. And then also a lot of it is about numbing out, you know, like about, well, Mm. I just don't want to feel the other stuff. So I'm going to do this thing that I know will give me a quick hit of pleasure, dopamine. And it's not, it's going to, it's going to be a short term, you know, fix. And it's going to continue my long-term suffering. So if they're, if and when they're ready, you know, it's about asking them to slow down and actually feel into what's going on, feel their feelings so that they can experience that full spectrum of what it is to be human that I think we're all craving. And we just, we, especially men, you know, and I'm sure you're, you're quite aware of this, but men have this cultural conditioning that they're not supposed to feel those, those softer feelings or those, you know, tearful feelings or any of this stuff. I feel like it's always, I, I always look at it like, cause I'm, I'm just, I'm very, I have that masculine energy in me. So I, I feel like I resonate really well with this where my feeling sense wants to live here. Basically mm-hmm. I say that that's like all mental. And then the only feeling it'll touch is what's anger and anger is like right here. And then all the ones that go lower into the belly, you know, into the root chakra area, like fear and sadness, like all that stuff that are connected to anger and obviously that's the stuff that, you know, I have to, I do diligent, like I have to sit and do the work to touch those feelings. But because the anger feeling is the one that I'm most comfortable with, I've been lately trying to be really good about talking to that emotion instead of stuffing it. 100%. And man, cause it's like, it's not allowed in our culture. Like, don't be angry. 
don't be angry. That's not an emotion that's allowed. Cry, yes, we'll let boys cry now and all that. It's like, well, what if anger is the one you're most comfortable doing? <laughs> you know? What's there? Okay, so feeling your feelings is definitely a big piece of it. And then the other thing, like I said, a lot of not feeling your feelings is about numbing out. And I've been just toying with this idea of um, the dance we do to not go into that dark place, right? And not go into where those feelings can sometimes settle and take you. And I call it, or it's been called the avoid dance. So we're trying to not step into the void. So for me, it's been like, how do I ask myself or remind myself that whenever I'm having feelings come, come up, that it's an invitation from the void, like, Hey, Mm -hmm. you haven't been sitting here in stillness, you know, enough. And so with men, that's the same thing. I'm, I'm asking them like, Hey, how, how often are you sitting in stillness? Cause I know it's like, even just saying that, like even my body gets uncomfortable, you know? <laughs> like, mm, I don't know if I want to feel that stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. So those are two big points. Why don't we start with that? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's perfect. There's a few things I love there. First, I love, this is just generalized, but anyone who has the approach you do, which is like, I recognize this within myself. And so I've worked on it and continue to work on it. And now when I see it in other people, I've got some helpful guidance. So acknowledging you for that. And then secondarily, I love the approach of inviting the feeling because that is, Mm. if I could give men one pill, that would probably be it. And you've probably had this experience as well, but so many men are so scared to have emotions and in part, we have to give the devil its due. It's, I've said this over and over again on this podcast. So for some people, it'll be just like the 90th time they've heard me say this, but their primary relationship, if they're heterosexual and they're with a woman, is not the only receptacle for their emotions. That's actually a really bad format. Mm. And so a lot of men have experienced pain when they open up to their wife or girlfriend where they're not received. Because A, there's already baggage built up by the time they decide I'm going to open up. And B, only in Western society do we view like, well, yeah, so then you get married and that's just the two of you. And maybe you see your friends once a month and you start to dump all of your emotions onto your partner. And so a lot of men have experienced that going very poorly early on and they get gun shy and they go, well, I'm not supposed to feel. People are telling me to feel, but I have evidence to the contrary. And it's this sort of deeper, more holistic approach of you need to build an ecosystem around yourself where you have a container in which to release your emotions. And that should be other men, it could be other women, but it can't just be your romantic partner. So it's just your romantic partner. What do you do when the anger you're feeling is towards them? Mm. Like, that's a bad place to express that. (laughs) That's not going to be productive. It's like, well, I felt my feelings and I told her about it. It's like, yeah, but you called her a bitch like 10 seconds into the conversation. So that probably weird that that didn't go well. Hmm. Um, And anger is such a funny one too, because it is that dual edged sword of it's often the only emotion men feel safe to feel. So everything defaults to essentially like angry, happy, horny. Yeah. Like one of those three. But it's an indicator of layers deeper, layers deeper, layers deeper. What's under that? Oh, sad. Okay. Hmm. So as you're working with men on 
some of these deeper emotions, I'm sure you notice a ton comes up for them really quickly because they're just so ready to express to someone finally. So this is like a really technical specific question, just as someone who also holds space for people. How do you deal with the inevitable flood of emotion that comes at you on a day-to-day basis when it's like, like, no, it's okay, share. Like, what are you angry about? Or what are you sad about? And then boom, the floodgates are open and they're like, well, so yesterday I was thinking about killing myself. And then the day before that, what was happening was this. How do you deal with that internally? And what are some of your practices to be in clear alignment so that you can respond like with love and not with overwhelm? That's such a good question. So first I want to make a distinction between the work I do with men on my personal platform or my social platforms um, being something that I don't have the type of one-on-one probably face-to-face work you do. There's actually a level of danger in my particular way I've entered, you know, I'm asking them to enter this work and in having a face-to-face situation, I'd probably have to charge so much money to make sure that they're that serious about it in order for it to not be something where I open the screen and they're jerking off or something that's going to be, you know, uncomfortable for both of us. I'm really not that uncomfortable for me because I don't know how to deal with it, I right. think, but um, I want to give value in the way that I think is the most accessible to the most people. Mm. So the way I do that is through my workshop and then through the DMs um, and then by creating video content and stuff that I give to those people um, who interact with me on social uh, that give this information. And then we can interact usually through, you know, uh, text format, like DM, that type of thing, or sometimes voice notes and that, and that, but it isn't so face-to-face personal when it comes to my work. Um, But in my personal life, I have called in an amazing amount of intimate relationships with men, like intellectually intimate relationships with men. Um, spiritual intimate relationships with men. So I have conversations like this on a regular basis, which is lovely because it's so much of what I bring to my work on my social. So um, the way that I, I wouldn't say I'm perfect at staying clear, you know, Mm -hmm. and grounding myself and making sure this all washes off. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing for, for the way my mind works on this and the way my body interacts with it is I have a, it's almost innate for me. I don't know exactly where it was born from. Perhaps being the oldest sister and kind of always being, I call myself like the, you know, I kind of policed my mm. my little tribe growing up of, of, of sisters. And then that grew into how I did that with friends and in the work I did with a lot of especially women, because I worked in industries where it was like a lot of models and women that I would kind of mother hen. And it just was the role I naturally fell into. I think it's very much an older sister archetype. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to men, I can very easily step into that more nurturing sisterly, like older sister role almost, or, you know, you might call it even almost a mothering role, but it's not so, it doesn't feel like that. It feels right. more peer to peer. Right. So with men, it's, sharing my own story takes the, um, the shame off the table. Like we know now that we're not here to do any of the judgment stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, the, and then when that happens, I've already given them something to hold as well. So it's like, we're sharing this, this it's, I don't want to call it tit for tat. It sounds negative, but we're sharing this exchange 
And then when they give me their exchange and I'm able to hold it and I think they feel the release, but they feel the fear a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know? And when I stay with it and then ask and explore further, because for me, I don't know, I get, I can tell Alex it's the same for you, but I get so energized by other people being really invested in the conversation or relationship or whatever it is. Like, I'm sure that's probably normal for everybody, but I notice it. So like, as they invest their vulnerability or as they invest their, their words that actually like hold weight, I can see it unfold inside of them. Like, wow, like this is, they feel an opening happening. Mm -hmm. And for me, that isn't heavy at all. It's almost like anything they give me when they're in that open state is the most loving feeling ever. It doesn't, I I don't feel like I, Oh, I have some stuff on you. I got to go wash Mm -hmm. it off. And maybe I have like a, some sort of internal boundary. That's like, not, it's not personal to me, whatever they're giving me. It's just that I open the space up, you know, anyone could do what I'm doing as long as they are invested. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It just needs to be interested. Yeah. That's really beautiful. As you're talking as, getting an image of essentially, you know, the void that you were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. is this incredibly nutrient rich place. And in the conversation, you're getting to witness them shoot their first tendril of a root down into that nutrient. And then all of a sudden you're watching this tree blossom in front of you and you're like, yeah, this, exactly this. And so I I get a similar type of charge from that. It's just like- For sure. I love that image that gave me chills. (laughs) So- We'll take a slight left turn here. And huh. I've been writing a lot lately about dating for men because mm. this is like when I source the pain a lot of men are experiencing, it's always there's an aspect of dating there. It's the not mm-hmm. feeling, but then it's it's the layered on of like they just there's a confusion. And I think this comes from just there's no good resources for men growing up, like here's how you might even consider talking to a woman you're attracted to. Here's how to be respectful. Here's how to be loving. Here's how to be funny. Um, Whereas women at least have, even if they're shitty, you grow up with the like 10 ways to please your man on the fucking front of Cosmo. Like, cool, at least (laughs) I can conceptualize that I could get better at this. So when you witness men, and this could be personal examples, this could just be what men tell you they're struggling with, in the dating field, what are some of the things that they get the most wrong or they're doing something over and over again? And you're like, yeah, that's not it. <laughs> that's certainly not it. I love this question. And I, I love that it almost ties to the back end of what we were just discussing about being interested. Mm. So, so many men believe they need to have this certain title, this status, this I don't know, you know, this degree or um, even the cars and the money and the the culturedness of being well-traveled or something, they believe they need all these things in order to be interesting. And those things can be attractive in the sense that they're symbols that you have potentially like, you know, good work ethic or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. But when you sit down at a first date with someone, like I was just saying, like, what a man wants most is to see a woman's opening to her, mm. right? Like he wants to, that's like probably the most attractive thing that I've from like basically interviewing all the yeah. men that, you know, I value opinions of in my life. They specifically say they mm-hmm. want that 
feminine energy to be evident, that opening, that ability to like really ex- receive them, mm-hmm. right? And this can even go into the sexual realm. Like obviously that's what you also want in bed with a woman is that opening, that receiving. You want to feel that she's in, she's turned on. She's in that juiciness that is receiving. So the how to get there, I think is so much about mutually invested relationships and mutually invested relationships look like someone being extremely interested in the Mm. other person and the other person looking like they're very interested in the other person. And so when they come to the table on a first date, for instance, instead of trying to get all the things out to make yourself look good and be interesting, it's really about focusing on being interested. And we've heard that cliche saying it probably a billion times. It's not really cliche goes, it's real, you know, be interested, not interesting, because if you just focus on the person in front of you and what's interesting about them, like even in this conversation, Alex, you're being interested in me with the questioning. So I get to feel energetically Mm. open to share myself with you. Mm. And it's just a beautiful ask of a man when he sits in front of you on a date to be interested, like in the nuance. And then this is the, this is the part. So everyone's like, yeah, I think I get that. That seems obvious, but really how do we read a woman or a person, any person could be woman or man in front of you, whoever you're with in any relationship to know where to, to uncover and unfold because you sit in front of someone and you ask some questions and they might feel dull for the other person. So they only Mm. give you a yes or no answer or something lackluster. So it's about looking for the sparkle, right? Like looking for that little, that little juiciness that we're talking about. So if you, you know, you get into some casual conversation in the beginning of a date and you're asking about like what she's into or what her work is like, or what are her hobbies? And then she sparks up when she talks about a particular thing, like, oh yeah, you know, I, I do a lot of work for uh, these clients in the shoe industry and they're really great. You know, they've supported me in so many ways. Um, and that's been, that's been amazing. But one of the things that I spend my weekends doing is running marathons. And that's like, just really been exciting for me lately, or you can even just see on her face. She doesn't even have to say the words that are exciting, but wherever the sparkle is, and then you would obviously take that and continue to pull on whatever the sparkle is on the next set of of Mm. conversation. It doesn't have to be so mathematical. I think men are always looking for like the black and white math of it. We are always. <laughs> yeah. And you're dealing with a woman, I would assume for most of your audience, for most of my yeah. audience anyway, I'm, it's a female male relationship. Um, you're dealing with a woman who is, if she's got any feminine energy in her body, which she, we all do, um, she is fluid and gray area. There's no black mm. and white in there. It's all, you know, there's emotions in there. Emotions are not black and white. It's like, you've got to be able to kind of roll with what's going on there. So yeah, I would say that being interested, not interesting, and just chasing the sparkle mm. and, and pulling on that is what will allow you to have that opening on, you know, while dating or while being in any kind of relationship, to yeah. be honest, you can do this with your parents, you know, and they'll feel so seen. And so excited that you're their child you know? like I mean it really doesn't make you excited that you know this person who's now seen you and now you have this intimate exchange and it you know you can build so much from there and then a huge piece of dating for men or just you know entering relationships for men is of course culturally we a lot of us have been 
taught to look at the physical first. And I can say specifically from my particular career, you know, where I entered my career in modeling, obviously that had been what I thought that's how you attract the people you want in your life. Or you, especially what I believed was how I attract the validation that I thought I want in my life, you know? And so with men, when they go to date someone, yes, you're going to have some physical attraction that is probably necessary in order to even want to get close to someone. But then can you get clear enough and understand enough, become mindful enough about your sexual primal hormones, Mm -hmm. the sex driving hormones that are doing most of the driving for most men? Can you get your consciousness on board and say, okay, I see that part that's very attracted sexually to this person, but where is the compatibility? So it's really Mm -hmm. that physical versus compatibility and seeing if there's actually something there that's long-term because yes, you could probably impregnate this person and then, you know, your spawn might live on or may, may not, but you're, if you're having, if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely a very privileged person in the sense that you don't have your survival needs that Mm -hmm. you're still having to meet, like, you know, food, water, shelter, and that you're at a place where you're thinking about how do I get into a relationship that really serves me long-term that helps me build the legacy and the empire. I really want to, that expands me in all these ways. So that privilege is connected precisely to your consciousness, your mindfulness. And I believe that as for all humans, this goes for women as well, we have to get really clear about what part of us is driving the ship, right? Like, Mm -hmm. is it the part of us that's just trying to procreate? Because it's very primal and it's a driver. It is, it'll stay on the wheel. If you do not come in and say, hey, love where you're going with Mm -hmm. this. And that's going to be a part of us. But my consciousness is going to take the wheel now. My mindfulness is going to take the wheel now. And we're going to dictate when we need to use that piece for actually mm-hmm. procreating. And when we actually are going to find a compatible partner that's going to help us build the rest of the legacy we want to leave besides just our spawn out in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So those are two big pieces. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I hear, I hear in that, you know, the first piece of being interested which is really beautiful because being interested subcommunicates two really fucking powerful things. Presence, which is like, if I'm truly interested, I am right here with you, nowhere fucking else. Someone drops a glass next to me and I'm like not even flinching. I'm like, hey, I'm really listening to what you have to say. And it, it subcommunicates genuine, I don't know how to say this besides interest, but like, I presence it's presence yeah I care about the things you care about and then Mm. additionally the idea of stepping out of your just pure biological vehicle and stepping somewhat into your spiritual vehicle is also really powerful because I think I think women are generally better at this than men are in terms of like actually applying any filter whatsoever to the people they're dating or seeing most men are just terrible at this they're like oh yeah okay you like killing babies um yeah cool sure whatever that's fine I'm I'm good with it (laughs) whatever you floats your boat but to step into that role of I'm genuinely curious if this person is a good fit for me yeah it not only is good for you in the sense that you end up with something you may actually be compatible with but what it communicates to the woman across from you is I see you as a whole person And I'm not just vetting you based on the physical appearance. Like, yeah, that's a great bonus. But additionally, like, are you fucking cool or not? (laughs) 
Yeah. Because if you're me, not, and of course, right, like, exactly. Yeah. It's like, if not, I love that. what are we doing? So there's piece. such a beauty, you know, I love that you use the word vetting because that should be the way you go into sorting for a mate, you know, sorting for a partner, not a mate, sorting for a partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea we have in our head because of us, I, I mean, I'm talking about 99% of people that I've met. I don't know about you, but including myself in my entire dating career, I have gone into those first, you know, experiences with that person just wanting to be accepted. Of course, I was not conscious of this at the time, and I don't believe 99% of people are, but what we really feel, and again, it's that false, that surface level desire, what we think we really want is to just be accepted. And if we're just accepted fully, then we'll be okay. Then we'll be whole. Then we'll finally be able to open and unravel and do you know what we want to do with our time in life. But when we're just looking for the other person to accept us, we're not vetting. We're not doing any of the real exploration of the reality of the person in front of us. We're, we're literally going to fully fantasize and project. I'm raising my hand here because this is something I've done in every relationship, even friendships. I mean, like all the relationships, you know, totally. where I'm projecting and fantasizing what that person could be, their potential, especially in the men uh, that, I've, you know, the, the, the romantic partners that have called into my life, where I'm projecting a potential onto them in order to make them fit mm-hmm. what's really compatible for me. Mm-hmm. It's not who they actually are. It's just so that they will fit because they're showing me acceptance in other ways. And for my, you know, that part of me, that, that scared part of me, ego or whatever, the, the part of me that's super scared to not be accepted and to not be wanted and doesn't have a sense of her own worth is so afraid of rejection, so afraid of not being accepted that she will forego the reality and just focus on the fantasy she's creating mm-hmm. in order to hold on to this feeling of acceptance here. Mm-hmm. And I think the unwinding of that is to begin doing, of course, your own self-work, your own inner work. It's all, all we're gonna, <laughs> it's always going to come down to that and sourcing down again to that, the core desires. What do you really want under that surface level desire of being accepted by someone else? Because when we really look at that, we know that that's completely false, right? Like getting all the, the, all of your sense of validation, all of your sense of being accepted and worthy from an outside source Hmm. is certainly not the healthiest way to go about it. Of course, we need to feel validated and prioritized and and affection from the other person we're with. We have emotional needs in relationship, but what percentage of that is for you to fulfill yourself and what percentage of that is what you need in order for a relationship to be a compatible and acceptable for you. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that I have found thus far to get clear on that is taking sex out of the picture and sitting in the void. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah to, <laughs> to your point you were saying earlier about, I'm paraphrasing here, but is this someone I can build my kingdom with? What yeah. I see the most people doing is their kingdom doesn't even have a foundation internally. And so they're trying to get the other person to be finishing the foundation. Whereas what ultimately I actually want, what most people want in a relationship is rock fucking solid foundation already. You build your your tower tall as fuck on top of this foundation and I'll build my tower tall as fuck on top of this foundation. And that's like 
the frame shift that allows us to get out of the this person completes me mindset and oh my god okay they're validating me now i feel okay inside well that's temporary that will absolutely go away when they do something you don't like or the rose tinted glasses fall off and you go oh shit this person's not a good fit at all but if you approach it from wholeness where this person is additive to my life then you can get into that place and you're totally right the sex especially especially super early on like first date second date you're just not seeing things clearly so then what happens is you're in the honeymoon period for six months and then finally like six months deep you're now seeing the person for real for the first time you're like oh this is different than i thought Uh oh i've done it again (laughs) and we have that feeling of impatience right in there and question what the feeling of impatience is really coming from whether it's the the driving factor of needing to feel validated somewhere outside of your body you know that tells you you're okay and calms your nervous system if that's coming from an external you probably need to look at that and figure out that that thing that's pushing you to get closer to that person so they will show you you are worthy and you are okay and acceptable that's obviously some self work that needs to happen there and then to, to explore the place of you. That's also, again, it's that primal driving sexual nature, the hormone. I mean, these are hormones. That's what makes up who we are, you know, and they are prevalent. They're happening. It's unavoidable, inescapable, and they're beautiful, Mm -hmm. but can we bring that privileged consciousness on mind? Cause we get to why, because we get to like, Mm -hmm. this is why it becomes our duty because we get the privilege to do it. We get to, like, instead of we have to, we get to, this is amazing. And when we get to do that, bringing the consciousness online and looking at where sex is creating uh, uh, all this chemical cocktail that makes us foggy as to figuring out our compatibility, figuring out ourselves too, figuring out where we're not um, healthy and figuring out where we need to show that acceptance to ourselves, you know, do the work to do that the foundation you're talking about is never going to be solidified if you keep trying to shove something external into it, you know? And I know this is such an esoteric thing. It's like, yeah, well, how the hell do you do that? Um, I, I'm right. I'm to, I guess, bring that kind of full circle. I'm writing a, a book specifically on this topic. Um, it's really this topic of integrity as a whole, right? Yeah. Like if you had to use one word, it's always about integrity. It's about fullness. It's about what every religion out there has you know, if you think about walking the Christ path, for instance, just because that's a popular religion here, Christianity, it's always about getting back into alignment with self, like being in integrity, get, taking all the members of the psyche, all these pieces of you that are pulling you in different directions that you've shamed and shoved down and put somewhere else and bringing them back in to alignment so that you can walk through this world as a whole person with mm-hmm. that foundation solidly underneath you. Um, so the, the book I'm writing, I'm calling it Big Dick Energy, which fits very well with, you know, my, my genre. Um, D-I-C-K stands for direction, integrity, critical thinking, and conscious thinking, basically. Mm-hmm. And then um, kink is actually the K. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking a lot about sex here, but obviously I do quite a bit talk about that. Mm-hmm. And kink being that piece that is understanding that sexual energy, that primal force that comes through you and you just feel like you're going to just 
explode if you don't figure out what to do with this. Well, what if you did figure out what to do with it, but it didn't always have to do with having an ejaculation, right? Mm -hmm. Like what other ways can you use that most powerful energy of creation Mm -hmm. to create that foundation you're talking about to then build on that foundation, you know, the, the, the full blown business or art or whatever it is that you're going to alchemize as you do your inner work. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah. so that's kind of a, a rant in that direction, but it's this beautiful stuff. I love that we're, we're pulling this all about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love, <laughs> I was thinking the other day about kink just as a word and how it's almost like a misnomer because realistically, you know, through every sex magic tradition across antiquity, the most potent energy that we have as humans is our sexual energy. It's literally, it's not only the energy that makes more humans, like obviously there's that piece of it. Everything dope that's ever been done (laughs) has been a result of a man or a woman trying to look awesome to a man or a woman. And that energy, when it's harnessed, when we unkink that channel internally and actually have it cleared out, we end up in a space of incredible creative potency and incredible integrity because we're clear on where we're going how we're getting there and it's sort of the other side of the abyss as someone fully can cross through that they get to a point where they're like oh wow okay wait so you're telling me that the sex with like full presence and like clarity and integrity is actually just way better than the sort of meaningless shit i was doing oh okay this is why I go through this process. This is why I go through these iterations and uh, you know, not to, not to shame the sexual piece of it for people. Like it's okay to no, be absolutely. in your yeah. life where you're just like, yeah, I'm not looking for a relationship right now, but I still would like to have sex occasionally. It's like, cool. Fucking awesome. Be in integrity with that. Be clear with your partners. I'm not looking for shit. Just want to enjoy exactly. each other. Exactly. Yeah. Say it in on, you know, truth and love. If you communicate through truth and love, and you're just on that honest line consistently, no one gets hurt. No yeah. one gets hurt that bad. Maybe they get hurt because they got they put their own fantasies on it, like mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about. But that's on them. That is, you can sit back and have no regret about that. Like I was clear, I was upfront about it. I wasn't trying to trick anybody. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to manipulate anybody. And therefore you're treating others how you want to be treated. And I love that you brought back that like sex is okay because <laughs> for God's sake, literally, mm-hmm. for God's sake, I am not trying to say. We need to step back into, you know, piousness or like. Only once you're married. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, obviously that is the opposite maybe of what I represent. Um, It's about exploring your sexuality to the degree of, that means to know your limitations with it too. And that means to some, to take time to take it out and see what happens when you do like where, Mm -hmm. that's the only way you can see the energy clearly is when you're like, really like, ah, it's like in my body. am I going to do with this stuff? And then recognizing, you know, and you'll have to do your own research and sit in the void enough to feel it and allow the feeling to come through and pass and do what it does. But remembering that this is a hormonal response and hormones come and go. They don't just stay static 24 seven, you know, like you literally can breathe them through your body, can take walks and squish all the adrenal glands that move that stuff through your body so that you have control over it instead of it having control over you. So yeah, I just wanted to, to, to underline there that this is, is 100% the opposite of taking sex out of your life completely. Yeah. 
This is about experimenting with sex in a way and your sexuality really in a, and your sexual energy. When I say that, that's what I mean. Um, in a way that actually empowers you because you have the privilege to do so. You are not procreating from a primal survival need to create more people so that you have more to farm your farm. No, so you don't starve. You know what I mean? Homestead. <laughs> Get the kids yeah. going. <laughs> exactly. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. So it, it's, it's really, it's kind of funny in a way because it, it ties back into self-love and Absolutely. one thing I have a close friend who has modeled for a number of years and I'm curious about your experience with this too because I think there's a weird there's almost a weird like delay or lag in the journey when you have really strong external validation for one or two qualities that puts you in a place where that's filling the cup like pretty regularly filling the cup but then there's yeah. brief moments where you're like sitting at home alone you're like hmm so I'm curious about what your journey with self-love has been and maybe even specifically to that point how that has gone for you god that's such a good one and I think you know our gifts are always in our darkest darknesses right <laughs> and one of my particular I, I, I'm a kind of like a living obvious living example I feel like of what it looks like for someone to not even consciously understand it through most of my life until, until fairly recently that I was striving for this external validation through mm. my body and the work I was doing as a model um, in sexy ways whilst having sexual shame on board from my like Catholic upbringing and mm. such and trying to sort those two things because they're so contradictory you know, like don't show your sexual body, but this is where you're going to get affection validation as a female in this world. And it's like, ah, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, how do I, and of course you have to sort through those things and they usually, you know, it always comes together in some sort of like, I don't know for everybody else, but for me, it's usually like a big blow up of a, a breakdown. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not the person who has that like super sudden epiphany. That's like, wow. And it's yeah. so gorgeous and blissful. <laughs> Mine, those come in like gradual unlayerings yeah. where I go, mostly it's like I write a journal for like a year on some subject, mm -hmm. you know, and it keeps coming back around and back around through pain, pain, and journal, journal, journal. And then finally I have like a download of like a couple sentences where it's super clear. And then I go like this, fuck. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. I should have seen that. Damn it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what my epiphanies look mm -hmm. like. But I've had these really like obvious breakdowns where I legit felt like, oh, this is it, lost my mind, or oh, my, you know, it's full-blown existential breakdown where I'm like, can't get myself together, crying nonstop for weeks at a time or whatever it is, that twist into these, you know, I call now a spiritual awakening or an awakening of some sort where I realize that this is a huge shift that has to, has to happen. An identity has to die off. And that's really what the breakdown feels like for me. Yeah. Is that like, you know, it's like that dark night of the soul that like, just, you got to let a literal par part of you die, you know, and, or at least tell it like, Hey, you did your part. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. You got me here, but it's time we, we go on in another, you know, we keep going in a different direction, stay on board, but don't stay at the helm anymore. Right. You know? um, so when it comes to self-love and really have been that person who was so viscerally, so obviously um, seeking external validation on a unhealthy level and a place and in a place that, um, 
exposes me to sub, such objectification mm-hmm. uh, through the likes of social media, where objectification is one thing when you're in person and someone comes up to you and like makes some objectifying comment, whatever. It's not as likely unless there's alcohol involved, mm-hmm. but <laughs> on their part, right? Which I've experienced a ton of because I've been I've worked for so many in-person um, sporting events and that yeah. type of thing. But there's this layer of um, objectification that happens through social media where it's like keyboard warrior, you know, you don't know who even the person mm-hmm. pe- people are and they're just saying whatever they feel like saying. And then when I open it up and invite it in a, in a place like OnlyFans, which by the way, I only got the courage to do that after I had worked and on, on absolving myself of sexual shame for years, mm-hmm. okay? And I do not recommend objecting yourself to OnlyFans or a platform like that until you have shed a lot of that stuff right. because you're going to, I mean, that's what you're, that's what you're there to expose yourself to, you know, let's be clear. So in that situation where I have now gone through the gamut of exposing myself over and over to this particular type of objectification and for so many years taken that as like, Oh, that, that objectification is, a positive. Okay. I'll put it in the positive bucket of like, I'm validated here. Okay, good. I look good at this and they think about this about me. And that means I'm this, and that's how I'm going to build my entire character. And my whole foundation is built off of the back of these people. And then you realize where well, you're also aging and in the, our culture, a female aging, you know, into her, from her maiden archetype to her mother archetype to her crone mm-hmm. archetype or whichever. I know there's more archetypes now <laughs> They're determining, Keep making more. but yeah. But as you're doing that and you're realizing that happens because you have consciousness come on board, you have um, things outside of that primal feeling, uh, uh, the sexual needs um, and the the relationship needs that we believe we are going to exist off of and the soulmate's going to finally come and like complete me and all those things. As we start sorting through that, we realize that aging is inevitable, which means the decline of the validation that I've received as a sexy model is inevitable and what now yeah and that is where one of my biggest um breakdown breakdown slash awakenings kind of came about was how do i give myself what i need from others feel like i need from others? i should put mm-hmm. that in quotes mm-hmm. how do i give myself what i think i need from others or how do I at least give myself enough of what I think I need from others so that I can survive, you know? And survive is a big word here because we've been talking about privilege and survival a bit. But what does survival actually mean? It's a nervous system response. Like it's yeah. when I tap into and look into myself and I'm feeling like anxious or, you know, I'm feeling like I don't want to do this or it feels uncomfortable. Can I sit in the void and be with myself and allow that feeling of anxiety to come all the way up, meet it and say like, babe, what's here? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it that you actually need here? You know, what is the true desire under this? And usually that true desire for me is that I need a sense of control. That's a good, you know, big one. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's even more a surface level desire because what do I need a sense of control for? You know, let's go further down. And Mm -hmm. then what I need a sense of control is to feel like I'm going to be accepted in the tribe or accepted by mm-hmm. my romantic partner or accepted um, for how I look or whatever. These are all right. That core desire, like even going deeper down is always going to really be about like, I don't want to be abandoned. Right. Yeah. And 
then you can jump into my existential breakdown, which was about the ultimate abandonment, death, you know? And when you really think about that, then you're like, well, I can't escape the feeling of, right. of fear of abandonment because it's always inevitably going to be there. And that's exactly where you want to get to is, oh. okay, so if that is going to be there, the anxiousness and the fear of death, of abandonment, of all the things, can I, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking that through my mm. mind, I feel fear, yet I'm still existing. Mm. Yeah, I'm still functioning somehow. I'm still even having this conversation with you, you know? which proves a point to yourself that you are capable of holding two things at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the realization that self-love has to come through. Mm -hmm. As far as I've found is that you can love yourself and also have things that you want to work on in yourself. Yeah. You can be critical of a lot of things in yourself and discern that some of that shit is not your voice. <laughs> you know, like those criticisms actually aren't the real you. That's right. something someone else put on you. And so separating those things, because when we get overwhelmed with believing that we are not good enough or, or unworthy, we're not lovable. It's where we have believed all the extra stuff because we've been banking on the external validation and external acceptance to be the thing that keeps us all together. Mm. So when we start going, mm, maybe I don't take that criticism which means i also don't take that validation as so personal when someone gives it to me then i have to look over here at the the true me and the part of me that is you know self-loving of able and also has some criticism that is true that i need to look at and then heal from or heal you know look at basically is most of the healing that needs to happen <laughs> um, and then i'm filling my cup from the correct side at that point. And it's allowing for me to begin that real cementing of the foundation instead of just filling it with sand, you know, mm -hmm. the stuff that doesn't hold, we need to mix it with the water or whatever. <laughs> it's like cement. concrete or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. mm. um, yeah. I wound around a lot there, no, but hopefully perfect. that made sense. Okay. <laughs> it, it did. Absolutely. Yeah. It's one of the things I coach pretty continually, which is a fundamental frame shift from your emotions as you to your emotions as a compass that's been installed within you that can take you towards or away from certain things. Mm -hmm. And anger, fear, sadness, not enoughness, these are all directional indicators of where a wound is internally that hasn't quite been sutured up yet and nobody has looked at in a while in many yeah. cases. And so treating them as such, and, you know, even in the languaging you're using, it's a very internal family systems sort of holistic approach of naming these different parts of yourself and going, okay, there's the Alex that's scared. He's not good enough. Cool. How old is he? Oh, he's 10. Because when he was 10, he was in front of the class and he said the wrong answer and everyone laughed at it. Ah, okay. That's who's showing up here right now. That's who's actually operating in the world. Well, what did he need? Yeah. Back to the filling your own void. Like, oh, he needed love and acceptance and, you know, a real sense of compassion, but also reality. Like, hey, buddy, you got the answer wrong, but that's fucking okay. You can do it. I believe in you next time. And 
that process of reparenting these lost parts of ourselves is what brings us back into that sense of wholeness. And to the people listening, you know, it's not entirely your fault. Like societies in the past have had rites of passage, rituals of initiation, that part of the purpose was to deal with all of this stuff. It's like, hey, we're gonna clean up all the stuff from your childhood and you're going to come into full adulthood with a clear sense of meaning and responsibility. And you know where you fit in the tribe, you know your purpose, you know how you're supposed to show up, you know what you're responsible for, which gives a sense of safety and stability. Nobody has that anymore. You just randomly turn 18 and then <laughs> fucking good <Ta-da>. luck. <laughs> yeah. And like maybe at best you have good parents, like at best. But most people don't have that. They just have their own extra brew of fucked upness on top of the uh, societal fucked upness. So it's, it's not shocking to me that people enter into adulthood and get into this place where they run into the existential crises, they run into the moments of just total breakdown because the breakdown is the body going, fuck this. I have been carrying bags from being eight years old for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. I can't carry this shit anymore. We're stopping. This is where we're stopping until we figure this out. And it's it's beautiful in that way because this breakdowns ultimately, as you and I know, are the moments where on the other side of them, you're like, oh, God, I'm so glad that happened because I was doing yeah. so much shit wrong. <laughs> yes, and that was also beautifully put. And there is that level. There's a phrase that I continually tell myself like, on the other side of pain is always revelation. Mm. So like, and I've said this before on, on, on my previous show, um, the magic hour, I used to say a lot, seek the pain for positive gain. And people are like, that's masochistic, masochistic. Mm. you know, you're, what are you, what are you asking people to do? But the reality is that our, our physical body and our mental body only have limited ways to show us what to look at, you know, and like, it's trying to get our attention. So every time we numb it, we don't get to go look at that inner child part, you know, the parts of us that got frozen in some sort of traumatic situation at that age, by the way, which is why a lot of the time they're pre-verbal. They can't even express it and thoughts like even when we sit back and we go, what's this pain trying to show me? What is the revelation here? We sit in the void. You know, when I say the void, I'm really saying like, it's like a meditative, it's a, it's sometimes a void, like, because mm-hmm. you don't want to be in there. Um, it's dark. Sometimes it's sometimes uncomfortable because it's stillness and we're used to glorifying busyness, you know? So when we sit there though, and we say, okay, I feel this pain coming up in maybe in relationship to the way that my, my significant other is interacting with me. I feel like they might abandon me, whatever. Right. And we go and sit with that. And that inner child is in there and we go, Hey, like, Hey, what, what part of me is asking for nurturance? Hmm. What part of me has a need here? And it's so magical when you really do sit in stillness, how it, it floats up kind of like a bubble mm-hmm. from like the bottom of the ocean. Right. And it just kind of like lightly comes up. It's not screaming at you, all the pain and the other things and the ailments and the illnesses are screaming at you. That's when it's screaming. Right. But when you sit with it and you look for the actual thing that you can perceive from the possibly pre-verbal inner child, you know, the thing of party that might not even have words to express you might see it as a vision or you might see it as a, uh, a you know a picture of something or a few words or something and if you can just kind of grab onto that and I love writing it down because for mm-hmm. me that it just continues to come through 
you see that that part of you is starving for something, you know, and that's why it's asking for nurturance there. It's asking for you to come and show up, like you're saying, and parent it in the way it didn't get parented or needed to be parented at the time. And it's magical because I think so many people um, believe they don't know how to do the work. So they just collapse and like, I'm just going to keep drinking and forget about this or however Mm -hmm. they self-medicate or something. Uh, There are a million resources for that. And including your work, Alex, for people to go find a guide in order to do that work or books or, you know, there's, I mean, the resources are endless. However, there's also the inborn resource inside of you that just knows how to do that. It literally, if you're just in the stillness with the the, the part of you that's having this, this need and and is hungry here, you will ask it what it needs and it will tell you what it needs. Like, I need you to be here with me more often. Mm -hmm. I need you to check in on me more often. I need you to sit in stillness and listen for me to say what I need more often. Maybe that's the first step phase of it. And then the next time you sit with it, it goes, today I need you to eat better so that, you know, I can talk to you more clearly because you've been polluting your body or drinking a bunch Mm -hmm. and I don't get to get my voice across. And that's been, maybe that was its core wound in the first place. Its Mm -hmm. voice never got heard, you know? And so it just said, well, I guess I don't matter. I'll just sit in here and fester (laughs) until I become a disease. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So all the fun stuff lives inside of us. And all the stuff that will become fun once we actually give it some attention and and invest in it. Exactly. Yeah, well, it's like you said earlier, and I love Carl Jung's idea of the golden shadow, which is that place where your specific pain, trauma, and discontent is, is your gift. For me, that was, as a kid, I just never felt heard, and I never felt like I could communicate well. And I always felt like people misunderstood me. I had no tools to express my emotions. I remember distinctly this one time, I was must have been in seventh grade and someone wrote, we were handing in our tests and someone wrote like shit on my test as they're passing it by. And so then it gets to the teacher and the teacher's like, Alex, why did you write this on your test? And I was like bad at expressing myself. So I'm just like, I, but I didn't, I, oh, uh, 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 I'm sorry. And then yeah. I was just like, head down on the table, just like crying, just like, oh, it's so embarrassing. It's like, oh, I don't know how to express myself. Well, ultimately, as I began to alchemize that feeling of not feeling like I could express myself, what did I get really good at? Expressing myself and communicating. And what do I do for a living? Mostly express myself and communicate. And so on the other side of every person's pain or trauma, are these gifts that specifically you have to give to the world. And it's just important to remember it because oftentimes that initial foray into the wound, it's like there's a dam there. And behind that dam is an entire tsunami of unfelt shit. And there's that first couple of times that you like blow up the dam and you're just washed away. And you're like, (laughs) fuck, is it always like this? And it's like, it's not, I promise. Eventually it turns into a beautiful river and sometimes it rains upstream and there's a mini flood, but like mostly it's just a beautiful river of your emotions. But at first it's so painful remembering in those moments, like I'm going through this to get to what is my treasure? What is my goal to give to other people? Really helped me in the moment kind of like navigate that pain. I love that. Such a beautiful, you're so great at, at bringing it to a visual uh, you know, analogy, because that's so powerful to be able to envision your process, you know, or the process. 
<clears throat> I love the idea of of the dam being something that we're kind of feel like we're standing up against and that we're not going to be able to hold it all, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to remember that it's not it's not about being great at this off the bat. We always think we have to have, we have to just know all the skills. So that's me anyway. I'm like, I'm going to do all the research. Same. I'm going to be so good at this, but I haven't experienced it in my body at all. So mm -hmm. how, <laughs> you know? and it's really just jumping in that river, you know, jumping in and like seeing if we can swim, like, all right, if, if you need a moment to pull yourself to the side and hold onto a, a branch or whatever for a moment before you keep trying, you can. And Again, I, I don't know why, but for me, it just keeps coming up. So just to really focus on taking ourselves out of that victim mindset of mm. this life is happening to me, all this pain is happening to me. And instead of, of course, it's happening for me is the shift. But I think what I've been really focused on lately is to make clear that that shift happens for the privileged. Mm. Because when we realize that it happens for us, we're out of that survival mode. We're into a privileged mode. And privilege is an important word because it transforms us into we get to do this. This is an absolute privilege. It is what we, I mean, the word privilege is what I believe brings us to figure out what our purpose is. So if you can just focus on where you are privileged in your life and then put those all together, you will likely find where your purpose is. And I believe when you have the privilege to be able to do your inner work, like we're talking about, and to keep facing the dam and keep swimming in the river once it's released, you know, and keep getting back in and seeing how you do and improving your swimming techniques and all the things. When you have that privilege, that is your purpose. You are literally lifting the world with getting back in, swimming through your own shit and figuring out how to teach yourself to become, you know, reparent yourself, teach yourself to become an Olympic swimmer, you know, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And even if you never help another person, like you don't have to become a coach to be useful, right? just for the people around you to go, that's exactly. badass. Did you see how Mercedes went from dealing with that thing to like being fucking awesome? Okay. She can do it. Maybe I can do it. Maybe I have the ability. Yeah. Possibility. You'd be a light for sure. Exactly. And you just, you improve your own life. I mean, mm -hmm. if that, if there's no other motivation, that's the big right. motivator is that your life is going to be fucking awesome. <laughs> Cessation of pain is a pretty good motivator sometimes. Yeah. So yeah. we're getting towards the end here. Um, a couple more quick questions that I'm curious about. So what's the thing right now that you're cooking on? And maybe it's the book, but that you're the most excited about or you find is occupying the most of your awake and joyful work time where you're just like this fucking thing is like lighting me up what is that yeah yeah it's definitely the book it's like um I love I, I never knew I liked writing so much mm. I don't I always knew like that seemed I could do it you know I could do that it's not a painful thing for me but <clears throat> in writing this book which I kind of took a lot of what's in my workshop awakening king within and I distilled it down and I also went very esoteric in some parts and kind of give warning for that because, you know, I know my audience, there's a bit of both of those worlds that I'm speaking to. And I wanted it to be organic to what flows through me. So the coolest thing, I think, I think is, uh, hormones have been something that's like, because of my particular way that I entered my own spiritual 
journey and my own inner work mm. was through feeling like I was, um, I was having panic, anxiety, depression mm -hmm. constantly. I was in a panic attack, like full blown panic attack for like a month at a time. I mean, mm. it was terrible. Wow. And so discovering where I thought I was like, something's wrong with me. I got to go to a zillion doctors, figure out there's some, some, give me a diagnosis. Like there's something right. wrong with me. And realizing that so much of that was about the internal work I needed to do. You know, it wasn't, I of course shifted some of my diet also to help with that. And also incorporated exercise and breathing and all these things that were physical to help with that. But it was so much about the thoughts that were in my head and the way I was allowing them to control, you know, to basically control my physical symptom, mm. you know? And um, so through that kind of process, I came to, mm, how do I want to bring this back to my joy in life? Let's see mm. right now. So the, the, going to the book and writing the book and creating even the, the, the workshop that this is distilling down from in the first place came through phases of my menstrual cycle. So this mm -hmm. is interesting, I think. And this is why the hormone piece comes in because I didn't recognize any of that until I had worked with a lot of doctors to figure out that I didn't have anything catastrophically wrong with me. I was experiencing a lot of thought stuff that was also being triggered. Um, or it's so funny because I always say, when the veil is thin and your mm -hmm. podcast is through the veil, um, when the veil is thin, which is in certain modes of the menstrual cycle, where literally the veil is thin, this is why we get really mm -hmm. weepy or we can, you know, get crazy empathetic or we get angry easily, or, mm -hmm. you know, all these different modes that would happen. So years and years ago, I started tracking my cycle, tracking my hormones, reading about hormones kind of obsessively is how I do it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. But, <laughs> um, and realizing that it was, all this accumulation that kind of threw me each month births the ability to be hyper creative mm. or need to go be inclusive or, mm -hmm. or yeah inclusive does that sound right reclusive. you know what i'm saying close yeah. down reclusive yeah. <laughs> um and i have these different modes so when i'm writing this book i'm doing it during my ovulation phase mm. so i'm doing it when i'm the most open to men. And I think that that's so cool because I'm writing this book for men, obviously big, big energy is it's a book for men. <laughs> and it's so much about like where I can be receiving of what I want in a man, because when mm. you're ovulating, you're looking for that particular masculine energy that's fertile and, mm -hmm. um, and, and assertive and really, uh, what do I want to say? Respectable and, you know, like all these things that you would think of a woman who's trying to get pregnant, she's going to try and pick the best of the, the litter or whatever, yeah. <laughs> the top mate. And I don't know if that's a thing that people do, but I am telling you, it is the words that come through me during that mm -hmm. time are specifically for the men I'm trying to call up and ask to level up. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been definitely beautiful. And I'm using all that creative energy that comes with ovulation. Obviously you can yeah. imagine I'm getting ready to, you know, every month women get this gift of being ready to procreate. Mm -hmm. And I'm using that energy for birthing a book that's specifically to call men in. It's a mm -hmm. really cool exchange. Yeah. That's awesome. I love hearing that. That's kind of like the, uh, it's obviously not exactly the same, but it's like the equivalent of men restraining themselves from orgasming and then repurposing mm. that energy which is that potent sort of sexual yeah. energy it's like normally it's driven towards this thing 
but when you can point it at some other shit it's really cool <laughs> it does a exactly. lot exactly so i love hearing that that's awesome um yes one of the last questions here so let's say you finally do get to that last day of your life that you were so fearful of at least at points and you know you're laying there on your deathbed what's the thing that you would want other people to have remembered you for um my namesake which is mercedes which means mercy Mm. and i think it's about um being open to loving what is like Mm. being merciful in the face of anything you know like having a particular softness that allows for whatever is happening Mm. i think i have like this part of my mind that's always i almost want to call it playing the devil's advocate in a -hmm. way and it does that sometimes but sometimes it's much softer than that it's like it just sees that everybody's doing the best they possibly can from their particular domestication right and it knows like i know that i have no doubt of that you know And that's really hard, I think, for a lot of people to believe because we want to be able to blame someone else for our experience. And I mean, it goes as far as like the most terrible criminals in the world, you Mm -hmm. know, the the pedophiles, like the things that we don't want to look at. It's so hard to look at and to be able to say, excuse me, be able to say that that person is doing the best they can from their particular Mm -hmm. domestications is really impossible for a lot of people to hold. And I believe my legacy, and it's gonna, it, I think my legacy is gonna look a lot of different ways that people mm-hmm. aren't probably gonna get maybe in the next few generations, yeah. I don't know. But I know that part of it or the core really of it is about seeing people for their truth, like what's actually underneath there and allowing for all the surface level stuff that came through conditioning and domestications and stuffing down of our parts and rose as insidious actions and saying, yes, that I see that that isn't good, but my job on this planet isn't to be the fun police, you know? Mm. Um, and I shouldn't say the fun police, but that's what I call myself a lot. Like yeah. when it comes to people getting way too drunk or something, I'm like, we need to rein it back. but to be the police because not all these things are not fun necessarily but some of them are fetishes and those fetishes like we're talking about in the beginning of this always come down to some core thing that is Mm. needed there that is not being given and so it's not my job to be the person who's going to criticize over and over um it's not my job to be the person who's going to shame someone for whatever they've done even the darkest things Um, but I believe it's my privilege and my duty to see that piece and hold it. Mm. And to speak to what you were asking earlier is like, how do you hold something so ugly that someone did and the way you hold it without making it like dirty or whatever is by understanding where that type of thing is born, like understanding that it's through domestications, it doesn't just happen. It's not that someone is ever just evil, ever. 
and really looking at what evil means, I think is like my biggest journey, you know, like mm. understanding that that is a, that thing, that evil, what we call evil is not some like outside demon that's going to come get us. It's actually the way we've organized the truth. Mm. So like, there's actually this story to, cause this will give it a visual, which I, which I love yeah. that you're inspiring me to do more, <laughs> mm -hmm. but there's like a story of God and um, the devil or Satan walking mm -hmm. together along the street. God bends down and picks up something from the ground and it's glowing and it's translucent. And the devil says, what is that? And God says, Oh, it's truth. Mm -hmm. And the devil says, Oh, give me that. Let me, let me organize it for you. <laughs> and the idea is that we take the devil in us, right? Like mm. we take things and we organize it. You could also make that speak to when people decide for you, like an organization, mm. like the church or, you know, religions or whatever, mm. corporations decide how to organize the truth in order to sell it to you mm. can get really ugly sometimes. Of course, we have organization factors inside of us that also help us work systems that also help us work organizations externally that also help us do what we are here to do but it's up to us to really figure out what happened to get us to who we are today mm. and then create a philosophy from there for how to unwind what isn't serving us and move forward and be productive in the ways that we want to yeah, mm. yeah that's a really good answer and i think there is something very profound about just pragmatically looking at any person who has done something evil or done something fucked up and trying to see the good in them or trying to see how they could have done the thing they did because just on a problem-solving basis we're certain shame is really not the best tactic i don't know if anyone has noticed this across the history of time that shame is actually really bad and creates worse problems than it starts fixing but shame is not the way so if we can really see someone and go hey yeah you did like there's no lie here you did something fucked up yeah however i still see you is an extraordinary gift to to them but also to yourself because it makes yeah. you the type of person who can hold that and see that so that's awesome uh, what else do you have coming up that you maybe are excited that you want to tell people about? Talk a little bit more about the book and then just where people can find you in general. Um, okay, so first of all, my AirPods are about to die. So let me just take mm -hmm. off these and see if you can still hear me. Yeah. Say that to you. Okay. Am I still on with you? Yep, yep. Perfect. Okay. You up. Okay, so where can people find me? What am I doing now? And all that is... Uh, social media all the social media handles really and um i'm active really on all of them so on instagram it's at mercedes terrell uh, facebook is mercedes terrell official and um i'm across youtube and all the podcast platforms the podcast platforms you can find my show my current show it's mercedes and the chap mm. and that has been so much fun i'm about to film another I think 18 episodes I'm filming them in like 18 episodes blocks. So yeah. it's a lot at once, but it's so fun. And, um, that is a show where I'm taking all that information. Like I'm writing in the book and like what's in my workshop and I'm hashing it out with my co-host and, um, we're interviewing a lot of guests on the same issue, issue there, mm -hmm. you know, same, um, topics. 
so have a lot of men's coaches on there. I'm sure I'm going to have to have you on there, Alex, for our next um, round of filming. And then uh, talking to a lot of dating coaches, specifically uh, confidence consultants. I'm trying to think of all the types we've had on, but, and then some are actually just talking to women specifically about like a real, like we'll have on a really attractive actress. Cause I have a lot of lovely, I have a lot of beautiful women in my life that I get to have all these questions about what they look for in a man too. Mm. So um, I bring them on and we'll kind of question them on what they're looking for in the dating world or what their experiences are. So it gives you kind of that real taste and much yeah. more digestible taste of um, how to navigate the dating world, how to navigate just doing your own inner work without going into the full-blown esoteric realms because mm -hmm. I'm very comfortable in those realms. So this show has been like really good for me to try to hone a simplification yeah. of it. Totally. My previous show, The Magic Hour, was very much about deep, deep, deep diving. And I don't know that it resonated with all my following, but I definitely love the people who did 100%. So yeah, so you can find me on all the social channels, um, Mercedes Terrell. And uh, I'm just, I'm out there having fun. The book isn't out yet. I don't have a pre-sale or anything like that. It's just obviously something I'm very passionate about creating right now. Awesome. Well, all those... I'll put all of those in the show notes for people so you'll have links to everything. Um, yeah, just taking a second to honor you for being on and uh, for all the work that you're doing. You know, really throughout the course of this conversation, I got a real sense of your sweetness and how much you actually care to help others get to a point in their life where they feel more complete and how you've done that work yourself to feel more deeply, to see yourself more deeply and how that shows up in service for your clients. And also additionally, having that courage to go into the places where the brokenness is. And it's something I talk about a lot, but it's not that great to be a monk on the mountain. Like, cool, you reached enlightenment for yourself, but the broken people aren't in the monastery. There's broken people on OnlyFans, I would imagine. And so the bravery and the courage to go to that place and be like, here's where the people are. I can speak to them here is fucking awesome. So I honor you for all that. And thank you for being on. And yeah, that's it for today. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, this has been an absolute pleasure. And I got to say a lot of the same things about your work, because I think it's so inspiring that you're able to simplify down some of these really tough concepts to make them you know, bite size for social media. I don't think people understand how difficult that is. <laughs> like I really don't. Um, it is, it is a challenge and I'm so grateful that you're someone who's taking it on. I love, love, love your work. And of course the podcast here is beautiful as well uh, for a long form, you know, person that that's where I usually go and invest my time. But I just love that you are willing to do that, that work of figuring out how to distill this stuff down to make it accessible to the wider public public so thank you and thanks for having thank me thank you all right well i hope you enjoyed that episode if you did as always please share it out with a friend or share it on your socials and if you want to go check out all the cool stuff that mercedes is doing check out the description of this episode where i've linked all of her socials you can go follow her on instagram and go check out all the things she is doing so much love, everyone, and we will talk to you next time.